and welcome to another episode of Waste Books. Uh, we have been on a hiatus for the summer, um, busy with some personal shit as well as professional shit. Um, had our DIY community festival, Julia Louise Drive Fest. That was cool, as always, successful. Um, if you're around Billings, Montana, you might think about visiting. So. Um, anyway, we're back with this uh, final part of our conversation about the novel Dune by Frank Herbert. This pretty much starts at book two uh, in the novel, even though we mentioned splitting it up by page number. It's pretty much easiest to think of it that way. This is where Paul and his mother uh, are in the desert, and they're on their own after surviving the storm. Um, anyway, a couple announcements. For Waste Division, we now have a Patreon that you can uh, sign up for and receive monthly packages of art that we do or anybody uh, of our friends kind of with stuff on the website, wastedivision.org. Um, so this month, for example, my band, Bull Market, is contributing um, stickers, t-shirts. Um, somebody's getting an album who paid a little bit more on their Patreon. Um, subscription uh, also features a sticker of Mary Kate Teske's car Frank it's a classic car uh, Dodge Lancer and she made stickers and they look really cool also includes a Julia Louise dry fest uh, button so you can have a piece of memorabilia from that fest I was just talking about also includes uh, the first sticker I designed no good scum so yeah, that five bucks a month will get you a package, something like that. Uh, if you can afford more and want to support us some more, you can choose to pay more and we'll send you more stuff. Uh, so for more information about that, go to patreon.com and search Waste Division. Probably just Google Patreon uh, Waste Division and it should pop up. Um, but yeah, if you want to support what we're doing, we're kind of trying to do something like um, Blue Apron for art. So even though Blue Apron is kind of bougie, uh, even if you like Blue Apron, that's cool. I like a lot of bougie stuff. Um, but it's kind of cooler because it's for independent artists and you get something in the mail and it's something that we put together just for you. So if you're interested, again, please visit patreon.com. I think that about does it. Uh, please enjoy this episode of Waste Books about Frank Herbert's Dune. Waste. 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 Recording. 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 Record. Recording. I'll just have. All right. I'll take. I'll take a little. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Oh, there you Indulge. go. Oh, ah, okay. Good See, man. it's fine. Yeah, it's not too Whew. early. Whew. No. <laughs> For a bong rip or a. Oof. A nice little nip. A little snifter of whiskey. So I. I'll go ahead and start it off. I just want to okay. say, last time, when I was talking about them riding sandworms, I was totally kidding. Oh, you were? Yeah. I was like, oh, it is. <laughs> writing sandworms. <laughs> and then when I when they got to that part 
where she, Jessica thinks she sees a sandworm in the desert with someone on it. I was like, motherfuck. They are riding fucking sandworms. They are. And then obviously sandworms. the climax, and I was just like, oh my god, this is like everything I dreamed of. Oh, it's the most metal thing ever, dude. It's right? like an Seriously? old Iron Maiden album cover. It's awesome. <laughs> with Eddie riding a sandworm. Um. Anyways. <laughs> Eddie? What? Yeah, he's like their ghoul. That's the zombie? The... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is part two of a two-part Dune uh, podcast series. I don't... Does anybody want to recap what we what we covered in the first part of Dune? Um, Last time... Why don't you go listen yeah. to our first episode? I love yeah, it. That's I love it. Really Just say. go listen to the first part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we did talk about... Uh, we kind of set the... the we... I think the whole scene with... Like the Atreides and the Harkonnens and kind of the whole oh. idea of their like government system too is a big thing. I oh, we set it. We set it all. Up. We hopefully it, set most of it up, and it's kind of ridiculous to just do what we did in that whole episode now. Yeah, because so I don't yeah, remember right. most of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but what's important is we are we are starting now uh, in part two. Uh, the Atreides have been, um, they've been betrayed, and Paul and his and Lady Jessica, his mother, are now in the desert. Yeah, that's where we started. Mm-hmm. Part two, have having to rely on hopefully, uh, as Paul says, the help of the Freeman um, to to at least hide them. Uh, he he just had his uh, fucking face melting, mind expanding psychedelic experience where he learns that he is not only a mentat but potentially the 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 quizak hatterack Ugh. the chosen one <laughs> the chosen one the all, the many the man with many names essentially the essentially just Lawrence of Arabia Paul Muadib <laughs> or after, cool yeah. after the desert okay, well, mouse I'm, I, <laughs> the kangaroo hell yeah i'm okay i'm cooper malin out here in the mission mountains in montana this is uh eric tonus out in beautiful eugene oregon uh this is dan in bizzle bangkok thailand <laughs> and this is phil in billings montana and this is waste Waste books. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's awesome. All right, let's jump hey. into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, we all finished the book, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. And it's it's okay if we didn't. I'm sure we can we can mull our way through it. But awesome, cool. Shit, this I, I listened just... to the book. Oh, you, nice. Who read uh, it? What? Who read? I mean, it? I did a little of both. Read what? Who read Who read the audiobook? Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know there was an audiobook. But... L- read the audiobook? Bill said he listened to it. I just was curious if it was like a Jim Dale or like a James Wood type. <laughs> who was it? It doesn't matter was if it, it wasn't was recognizable. Good. Well, I'm not hip to that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> I just I just looked up I looked in my journal, which is like the oldest comment I've ever made. But I had I just finished Dune for the first time a year ago, like this week. Oh wow! Nice. That's crazy. No kidding. The first go around. So it's, it's been a year for me. The first go. Oh around. man. Wait, wait. Did you read all those books in a year? 
Yes, yeah. Oh, all, all that of them? summer when I was working for the national parks. I thought you were talking about Dang. oh, just one, the first one. Oh, wow. No, I read all six of his, and then I did not. I, like I said on the first one, I did not, nor will I ever read the other ones. Yeah, the ones he did with his son, right? Well, no, he passed away after finishing the sixth one, and then his son um, took up the mantle and wrote like thirty more. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of like he wrote like a book for every of the families. He wrote like a Butlerian Jihad War book. He wrote he he just went nuts, and I've heard mixed reviews about it, and I really have no interest in yeah going for plus six fucking books is a lot. Uh, yeah, of this length too. Uh, this length, and they're all like some sort of mind bending philosophical treaties on humans and the environment. And... <laughs> It's a lot, which makes it fantastic, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about part two of Dune, the most badass climax of, of a book that I've read in a long time. Let's be clear really quick. Um, the book already has like three parts, right. I think, right? I think it's just two. Is I think it? it's just oh, okay. no. book one and the book two is just... There's three because book three is the prophet. So there's three books. Oh, we read right. the first half of the book for the first episode, and this is the second half of the book. We just split it in two by yeah. Which encompasses, like, part of part two and part three. Yeah, but for our purposes, mm-hmm. it's kind of handy just to treat it like the beginning of book two, where Jessica and Paul are out on the desert yeah. and the adventure begins. Totally. Right. So, yeah, let's start there. Yeah. So, what's the setup here? Uh, Paul's dad has been killed, and... They have taken they, a, a thopter, right? Yeah, they let him take a thopter. And you, uh... So, who's they? Or wait, Parkinson's wait, wait. let him take a thopter. Oh, right, right, right. Hoop, can you walk us through all that again? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to... Uh, I, I, we've all finished the book, so, so what we learned was oh. that the the um, House Harkonnen betrayed the Atreides family by, by converting their house doctor. Um, and then also we learned it was with the help of the emperor, Padishah, remember? Because mm-hmm. they noticed that there was Sardaukar troops, which we discussed in length in the first part, dressed in Harkonnen garb. So it was this huge um, empire-spanning betrayal um, because of the Canley, or like the family war between the Harkonnens and the Atreides. And we don't really get that much. I mean... We we get some glimpses of why there would be, but it's that that why they're at war isn't really the yeah. biggest issue at hand. I was surprised at that. Uh, I thought they would maybe go into that more later on, but they they never really did more depth. I I think it's just supposed to be that most basic of good versus evil. Harkonnens are the most vile f- force in the universe, and and the Atreides for this purposes are are the the good guys. Right. So I think it's just but, as simple as good guy versus bad guy. Also, couldn't it just be just a product of comp- competition, like and resources? That oh they yeah, have kind of a feud. Totally. Like, yeah. Like, like the Baron had his eye on Arrakis or whatever, or it's yep. his. And, well, and Paul was coming right to be Duke, and I'm not really sure how that shakes out, but it seems like a natural enough high tension situation. Totally, totally. They both mm-hmm. interested in this similar, you know, trading. Yeah, the same shit. Similar right. resources. And so what we're setting up, so it was the the Baron was there, you know, he the Baron Harkonnen clearly orchestrated the whole thing. He's got his two nephews, the Rabin, and um Oh shit, we talked about this in the last one. Fade, Sting plays him in the movie. Fade Ratha. 
Oh, Fade Wraitha? Yes, Fade Wraitha. I, I got, I, I'm shit with names. Uh, oh, sorry, it's Fade Routha. Perfect. I know, these names are hard. That was one thing I thought he could have done a better job at. Is like, because some of the names even sound kind of the same. Like, y yeah. Like Hewitt and Hewick. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tuick, uh, yeah, Tuick, Ewa, and Hewick. Yep. Yeah. They... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The names were definitely crazy in some parts. Uh, so, and we're setting up the Harkonnen, setting up uh, Fade Rautha, the, the, the better looking of his two nephews, to be the new head of uh, Arrakis. Um, and then eventually the new emperor. Right. That was the yes. thing. So even, even though he partnered with the emperor, right, against Atreides, there's like a subplot to like eventually overtake him. So like just another example of like just like plots under plots under plots. Tricks within tricks. Like on both sides yep. really. Yeah, between like the plots on plots on plots on plots. Well well just like how the the trade like on the Atreides side, like all the stuff the Duke was doing to like communicate with people of Arrakis and like customs and shit like that. Just over here too, just like all kinds of like yeah, subplots I guess. Mm -hmm. And I'm tr mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember we, I'm trying to remember, because I think we did a good job talking about the family of the Atreides, because they, they'll come back, as we saw. So let's go through the uh, Huat, the Thufar oh, Huat, the Mentat. Yeah. He, he gets captured and is still alive. Right. And he thinks Jessica, yeah, he still thinks Jessica is the one that betrayed uh, Leto, right? Yep. Right. Yes, because they disposed of the doctor's body, and so only... The people in the room and the and the Baron is aware of who really betrayed him, but yeah, I forgot about that. That's a big part where um, a lot of people, like Duncan Idaho, right, believe that Lady Jessica also was part of the mm -hmm. the the plot. Cool. So so Thafir is still alive, and I believe he's now kind of given himself over to the Bar the Harkonnens as their mentat. Um, and then we have um, Duncan Idaho, right, and he who gets who gets just smirked, right. But doesn't he, he picks up Lady Jessica and Paul, right? Because that's the thing is like yeah, he saves yeah, them. Yeah, they get dropped off in the desert, oh, and he yeah. saves them in a in a thopter, right? Yeah, but that kind of takes them to a, a a military or like a Freeman bunker or some sort of military bunker. The the Sardikers find them. Yeah. He he gives them an escape route where they get to another thopter, and he gets killed in the process. Yeah. So Duncan yeah, Idaho, right. the late great curly haired gorgeous man, dead. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then Gurney Halleck. Gurney Halleck, his whereabouts are unknown. At this point, are unknown. Yeah. yeah, he was last seen just fucking being his badass self, like running into battle, trying to defend the the Atreides. And but his, as of right now, his whereabouts are unknown, and we're not sure where he's at. <laughs> and that's pretty much. And then Lady Jessica is with Paul, and they're now in the desert. I believe they've talked about well, yeah, their only so... goal right now is to sort of. Find the Freeman. Right, right. Because they, they take that Thopter and they fly through a storm and, like, everyone assumes they're going to die. Right. right. But Paul, using his high-tech skills, <laughs> is able to fly them through the storm and sense the storm around them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He's really kind of coming into his own as this sort of uh, um, way above average intelligence and ability and all his training's kind of kicking in. Right. Mm -hmm. But then, as we talked about, speaking of bringing it back to Gurney Halleck, the next chapter after we pick up 
we see that Gurney Halleck is uh, among the smugglers. He's kind of implanted himself um, with the smugglers, um, talking about uh, uh, his his respect for the tradies, but he's not... I think he's just sort of setting himself up to be with this rag band team of smugglers so that he can hopefully can just stay alive and hopefully... Uh, see. Well, actually, I think he, he thinks the, the Paul and Lee Jessica are also dead, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. So he's sort of just like throwing his lot in with the smugglers, being like, fuck it, it's just kind of a dog-eat-dog world. I gotta get by somehow. So that's Gurney Halleck. And that'll come back later, because he... Yeah. We learn later that he's, like, working... Yeah, because he becomes sort of like the leader of this band of smugglers, because he's fucking Gurney Halleck, but I'm... Mm. Or, like, Recon or some shit. Yeah. Because he ends he end up being with the smugglers yeah. when oh, all that's that shit right. went that down. Was... Is that what happened, right? He ended up with them. Yes. Those, remember those smugglers that we originally... Well, they just run into each other on the fucking desert, right? Yeah. Uh, Paul All right, let's let's go back. Let's Jessica. just... I, I, if we keep... There, there is so much. Like, I just want... There's so much. Because especially now, this is, like, when the plot is just fucking chugging along because this, this is, like, where shit is building up but then again it's funny because it it's like this non-stop train driving towards the conclusion but there's long parts where it just really slows down which is good you know like where we could talk about it where paul finally does find the freeman and uh right that was that was a long section of like just wandering in the desert at night right wait wait halleck ended up with the harkonnens and like seventy three of the of his um, Atreides compatriots. This is like page two fifty, I think, right? The well, yeah, doesn't he he gets ambushed, so, right? Like with, hmm. or is that someone else? I thought it was just like the surrenders from the battle, okay. but because the the very next chapter, so you're the great Gurney Halleck. The man said Halleck stood facing across the round cavern of fire at the smuggler seated behind a metal desk. I'm sure the smuggler's working with. The Harkonnens. Mm. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I'm reading from the source. Because I don't think Halleck would ever work for the Harkonnens. He hates oh, them. Oh, right. He was like a yeah, child right. slave He's... on their planet. Had the, has the ink vine vein on his face. It's like a permanent painful scar from being whipped by the... Because it, it was Hawat. No, it was, was Thufir Hawat who got ambushed, I think, and taken prisoner that way. And then he becomes their mentat and, like, was working with Fade Routha but also kind of subplotting. Wait, but Halleck is now working with them. Yeah, so what I'm reading right now is on on Licky. It says, uh, he manages to survive the fall of House Atreides on Arrakis with 73 men. In the years under the attack, he falls in with the Melange smugglers, eventually becoming yeah. a powerful figure. His smugglers fall for a Fremen trap, a fake horde of spice, and are almost killed before Paul, now the Fremen leader, right. Deeb recognizes him. Halleck later becomes Jessica's loyal chief officer after nearly killing her, mistakenly believing it's like it's like, and it's also how like other houses make extra money. You know, it's like you can sell it legally on the market, but then also if you have a nice main line of the black market, you can make just a little bit more extra uh, capital right. on that. Well, and we on your product. We also find that the Fremen have been bribing the guild with yeah. spice so that they won't look at the South, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I don't remember if we talked about that in the last episode, but 
Um, we did. We talked about how, like, uh, there's no... Wait, so they won't put satellites up well, over. Well, right. the, yeah, they haven't brought the satellites in for the weather control, and they w- they were wondering why. Mm-hmm. And it's because kind of the... Oh, and then we yeah. also... we Don't we also lose the uh, planetologist, yeah. Keynes? What, what, that happens, like, in the next hundred pages or so, I think. Um, but he, he informs us that, like, they're, the Fremen have been able to find a way to keep satellites yeah. off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which is essentially to keep their numbers a secret, but also to keep the secret of the spice. And it's the... And the water. And the plants. Well, yes. They're, and also, like, their huge fucking global plan to, like, bring forth water into the desert. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, I really want to talk about those water tanks, but we need to talk about how they meet the, the Fremen, how Jessica and Paul end up right. linking up with them and like how they get get in with them and everything and well they're running from a worm they yeah, eventually let's talk run about into that. a worm yeah. and it's chasing them and they make it to some rocks so they're just wandering in the desert right and they just find rocky places to hang out yeah well they they the fremen uh have been kind of fo- like watching and following them mm. and they decide to make themselves known and then paul climbs up on the top to like escape yes. and like kind of and let his mother right. kind of deal with them when they... I remember it was... That was really cool, because it was, like, at night, right? And they're, like, all surrounded in that cave. Can we... Can somebody find that? I, I have the part where, like, they, they directly get... there. So they find that rocky outcrop. Uh, they, they, they gotten away from that one worm they are running away from. Uh, Paul says, we better find a place to pitch the tent. Tomorrow we can try to find the Freeman who... And then, most intruders here regret finding the Freeman. It was a heavy, masculine voice chopping across his words, shattering the moment. The voice came from above them and to their right. Please do not run, intruders, the voice said as Paul made to withdraw into the defile. If you run, you'll only waste your body's water. So that's where we get, that's, that's in the middle of the night. Um, still, he felt the edge of fear within him and knew its source. This was blind time. No future he had seen. Uh, so remember, so he's tapping into, Paul is, he's tapping into the ability to look into the future with his with this kind of a, a precognition, and they were caught between wild Fremen whose only interest was the water carried in the flesh of two unshielded bodies. A classic adventure trope. Like, clearly the Fremen are not going to do anything to them, but the end of the chapter's always got to be like the, dun, dun, oh, dun. no, what's going to happen? <laughs> so then, oh, so then we get cut off, and then we go to Keynes. <laughs> Keynes. Yeah, and this is right before he dies. Where he's, like, fucking hearing his dead father's voice and hallucinating and shit. Because yep. the Harkonnens captured uh, Kynes, and they, they did, like, a classic Harkonnen um, torture uh, execution method, right? They, they just removed his still suit and just sent him out. And right, left. right, yeah. And so as he started becoming dehydrated... To let the planet that he loved kill him. The planet killed him. Actually, we might read a little bit of that, too. I've been trying to get us to read more. And then he starts seeing his father, and that's where we kind of get a lot of the context of what they're trying to do to the planet. Right. Because it seems that his father was the original planetologist on Arrakis. No, yeah, and I thought that was cool, because mm. it, it almost reminded me of, like, in, like, medieval days of, like, a uh, like a cathedral building. You know, like, planning mm-hmm. out how many years this is going to take and, like, telling the friend. Oh, and, totally. Because I remember that was, like, talking about he hears the voices from his dad and he's like, ah, mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. But, like, it talks yeah, about... Yeah, yeah, he's like, I I hate you. But, like, uh, but then when he talks, it talks about, like, what his dad did for the Fremen and he, like, calculated how long it would take... Yes. ...for them 
It was like 300 years if they were careful, but like he said five or there was something and uh, like it was more like like it, it didn't really matter. Like that was a low amount of years considering like, you know, over generations, you know, that's, that's not very many generations. It's so amazing because this is sort of the this is sort of the um, the, the thesis statement of what uh, the kinds have been planning. The real wealth of a planet is in its landscape. How we take part in that basic source of civilization is agriculture. So we kind of get these glimpses into what Cain's uh, father wanted to do, which which was also implanted into the Fremen's new religious mindscape, which is they want to bring you know bring water into the desert. Which which is such like a basic basic. One Judeo- moment, guys. I'll be right back. Yeah. Which is such like a basic Judeo-Christian tenet. You know, a lot of those Old Testament and other biblical texts always... Because, you know, those religions were founded in that in that part of the world where it's just sort of a giant desert. And a lot of it deals with, bring, you know, the Lord will bring water forth into the, the arid landscape. So I thought that was cool that he incorporated a lot of um, such old religious connotations, which we look at now as sort of metaphors... But uh, uh, Herbert here used the planetologist to say, no, we can literally do that in here. Yeah, now. well, and then he goes on to say, right, our first goal on Arrakis is grassland provinces. We will start with these mutated poverty grasses. When we have moisture locked in grasslands, we'll move on to start upland forests, then a few open bodies of water, small at first, and situated along lines of prevailing winds with wind trap moisture precipitators spaced in the lines to recapture what the wind steals. We must create a true Sirocco, a moist wind, but we will never get away from the necessity for wind traps. Ah, oh, so good. So we're just, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're using the little science we've kind of heard and and we never get a full explanation of these wind it's traps. But basically, they're just like giant still. They're just meant to, they, they just sort of capture the moisture that's in the air we see them again in like the Fremen cave where they seal up these caves and they, they trap all the moisture that escapes from like the Fremen's breath and off their bodies. So so we just see this this beautiful civilization that uses technology to just they, they have to use everything they can to take what little moisture there is on this planet. Well, later on, Jessica remarks about how um, they have such high tech water measurement systems. Like, they are so right. uh, frugal and, like, conscious of the value of water that they have it, like, leveled yes. out. Was I don't remember. Deci- it's, was it deciliters? It's, like, micro something. Micro liters? It's like something incredibly tiny. Something. No, it, I'm not sure. But that kind of goes to, I remember, I, I don't know if we want to just dip into, like, a little themage here, but, like, something I really like about that is at one point... Paul has to send, like, I, I forget at what point it is, but they're doing a deal with somebody, and he, Paul decides to send a Fremen. I think Stiegel, or Stieg, what's his name? Stilgar. Um, Stilgar. Um, and because he says, you always send a Fremen to, a, to do a deal because nobody negotiates like a Fremen. And I think that just kind of speaks to, like, the hard-edged practical nature of the Fremen that they've had to develop from living on Arrakis. And that's kind of like a theme I saw in here. Like, I I don't remember which chapter it was, but one of those epigraphs 
at the beginning of the chapter talks about like how they on Caladan had gotten soft. Like they lived in paradise. So it was like all around them. So they didn't have to do any work in the mind to like create it. And they kind of lost their edge, right? And that kind of explains what happens to Leto. Like, he kind of, in some sense, loses his edge. Or, like, at the end, he's still doing stupid stuff like rescue, like risking his life to rescue oh, yeah. men. Like, even though that's honorable, you could also view that as, like, him going soft. Um, so, yes. I don't know. I just like how these, like, sort of political texts show processes of like regimen or uh like different rulers sort of turning over and like rulerships systems turning over um yeah because there's a lot about stagnation and that's just shit that i learned to read for in like a medieval lit class which is kind of cool so again like this book does use those sorts of mechanisms except way in the future but it turns out that they're like seem to be pretty basic aspects of human like existence right those like political structures and well yeah especially when we have such stark differences in groups here i mean the fremen are right uh, we we come to appreciate them because they are our heroes but they truly are like a brutal hardened people who look at who look at human bodies of their loved ones as nothing more than just measurements of water that they can suck from their corpse, you know, like use their blood and, and, and we never really get the full process, but essentially they are, they mm. are composting human bodies to use their mm-hmm. waters and drink. No, and, and, and these people are, are hard because of their environment. And yeah, and then we have, yeah. we have two or three families here. We can even look at the, the Atreides are hardened by their environment in, in a world in which, no, but I'm sorry, yeah, they're softened by their environment. The Atreides are softened by the, the planet Caladan. The Harkonnens are softened because of their wanton uh, lusts in their... And their wealth. Their wealth and their 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 uh, uh, personality, um, uh, uh, fractured personality traits that seem to continue down the family line. And the Emperor Padishah is weak because that's just sort of what you see when you have an all-powerful uh, head of state who just is assured because he's not dead that he will be in control. You know, when we see him later in the book, he's sort of described as this very gaudy character who's almost seen like wearing makeup. He has like a full entourage of like soft courtesans who just are, are essentially clowns in this circus that he's the head re- uh, ringleader of. He doesn't have power besides the fact that his title is the emperor. He's just sort of gone. He's gone so soft um, in the, in the scheme of things. And then, which makes sense then what we see right. later what happens uh, with the Fremen is they're completely able to use that their environment and, and their their how hard they are to just run rampage over the entire universe. The entire known human galaxy. Okay, okay, okay. So really quick. Back back. We were just reading about we were just reading about So we were just reading Okay scientists sorta? Yeah, the planetologists. We kinda get a little glimpse into what has been whispered about as far as why we can't see the planet? What's the deal with like what's the Fremen's re- like the weird religion about his the bringer of water? Now we get to see oh shit this has been implanted in the Fremen's mind by Kind's father the the early planetologist. Yeah. 
Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, it's a part of spice production, like natural I, spice production. Yeah. Okay, I, I I heard I saw him mentioning the bubble, but I didn't realize that was like a literal bubble. I thought it was a figurative mm-hmm. bubble of, like, his. Uh... Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's a byproduct of the spice production, the 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 bubble that's formed from like the gas from the little baby sandworms, uh, and he just sort of falls into it and is crushed by the sand and dies. So I don't know if I missed this, listen to it, because I was, like, driving around delivering papers for part of it. But um, did we ever see, like, a detailed explanation of how spice is really made? Like, you said something about so, baby worms, but... The, li- the little maker, right? It, like, becomes a yes. sandworm. But, like, it's like a tadpole to a frog, right? And, like... Yes. It's it's a half animal, half plant, and... Yep. It's not... Na- I don't know, like, it na- like it's a, a spice is, like, a... Or one of the ingredients of spice is like a natural byproduct, I believe. That might be part of it. Yes. And and then we learn that the adult sandworms, because of the metamorphosis using the spice from Little Makers into the sandworm, they um, develop a fear of water. They have hydrophobia because it'll kill them. So that's we, we mm-hmm. learned that they've also been working the environment to their own benefit, which has been at the detriment to the Freeman because they will stop any sort of natural water process on the planet because it will kill them. Uh, again, it's been so long. I'm try- trying to remember. The beautiful thing with, with, uh, with Dune is that it's a soft science fiction book, so we don't really need the hardcore science. I think we can just understand right. that. Yeah, Dan, you said it perfectly. Like They're just little tadpoles, the little makers – they harbor in the spice production because then it helps them transform into the sand worm, I believe. Mm-hmm. That sounds. Uh, it somehow becomes a sand worm. I think we either get <laughs> it. Spice, spice is key. We, we, we might get it in one of the appendixes. Oh. Appendixes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they throw so much information at you sometimes. Like, I. I... My brain is selective about some of the shit I remember. Well, and they do it within the chronology too, so it's like it's hard to tell like what information you got when. It's all like, and that's like a big part of like like what people have said like with him like world building, like building a world. Like it's just it's part of why it's so damn long too. You know, it, it's just like, and that's what I liked about it. Like from the beginning, like like it, it took kind of a while to get going, but like because you're getting all kinds of information, so the picture you can. Kind of you you have to piece it together from like kinds of random information Definitely. about this place and like what they're doing and why. Yeah. Uh. So, but that that was cool. Like I, I like as soon as I like apprehended that I was like okay like like settle in like it's gonna be a nice long ride. <laughs> yes. And, uh, like it basically was like that up until the very end basically. Which is uh, I I mean I'd like to talk about the pacing later but like we should continue with the. Long no, ride. totally. We move on back to, yeah, so, so Kynes dies, his, his desert reclaims him, he, he dies, a, 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 his, he dies uh, his planet kills him, as he says, and then we move on back to Paul and his mother being um, captured by the, the, the Fremen. I see here a great example, it just kind of uh, building further into the idea that Fremen are, are based off of um, like a lot of the Ar- like, um, Arabic cultures. When they are, when the Fremen ask if they are jinn or human, jinn referring to like the jinn or the the genie of the the Muslim in cultures. Mm. Mm. Okay. 
Which like I thought was gen- yeah, like demons of the yeah, yeah, the, the, the right. demonic genies that are found in the desert. I thought that was just like this crazy, like whoa, that's such a. I figured that had something to do with like an other, like a non-human and inhuman they were at. Like, are you human or not? I didn't know that that actually referenced. That's cool. He, he I mean, he spells it a little bit differently, but it's one of those things where it's like that is. It's uh, the same word. It's spelled, most, yeah, it's the same word as the most likely. Uh, so, anyways, we we so he's Paul's afraid. Of course, he's this fifteen-year-old. They know that he's the the Duke's son because we meet Stilgar, the leader of this particular Fremen group that we'll become very very familiar with. So we're first introduced <clears throat> to Stilgar. He's the one that finds them and Jam Jamis, right? Right. Oh, there's there's a bunch in here, but uh, remember he he um. He Paul knows Stilgar. Remember, he says, "I know you, Stilgar." Paul said, "I was with my father in council when you came for the water of your friend. You took away with you. You took away with you my father's man, Duncan Idaho, in exchange of friends." So remember, he's the the one that I believe came in and mm-hmm. spit on the table in the council. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't put two and two together. Um. So anyway, so Stilgar says this is the Duke's son, which kind of saves saves them ostensibly. Um, from from the Fremen just kind of killing them, taking their water, and leaving. Well, and also Jessica uh, kind of displays some of her uh, abilities, like using the voice. And doesn't she fight? She fights off a few of them at first, and they're like, whoa, this bitch can fucking brawl. Well, and, and this is where Paul starts his beef with Jamis, or Jamis, whatever his name is, that like kind of ends up being a pivotal thing for their stay with the Fremen. Well, because ja- he, he, like, disarms Jameis, right? Yeah. Like, Jameis is Yeah, he does something it. that, like, yeah, he disrespects And so when they start like, kind oh, of uh, exhibiting these attributes of the the legend, like, you know, Jessica being a Benny Gesserit and uh, having a, son, a male son who also has those abilities, they're all like, whoa, this might be, you know, him. Well, yes. And then yeah. it seems that Jameis guy is upset, and he's like, no, fuck that. This dude's like, this little kid's like 15. Yes. Yeah, he's not the... Stilgar even says he's certainly the one Leet told us to seek. Uh, so they... Yeah. And then uh, then Paul, uh, meant, you know, in, in voiceover, says to himself, like, which is, the, again, this beautiful, crazy world of he is the prophecy they speak of, but again, we have to remember the prophecies were created by the Bene Gesserit and by the planetologists, mm. so it's not based on anything mystical. Because Paul even says, like, to himself, oh, shit, they're looking for signs that I am the chosen one. If I want to live, I better start fucking pretending like I'm signs. the chosen one. Right. And yeah. so he does with the help of Jessica using her uh, Bene Gesserit abilities. It's this great confluence yeah, of, yeah. of myth, uh, like, myth versus... But, yeah, but we know the myth was... Like, yeah. We know the creation of the myth. Yeah. That that was a cool part. For yeah, me. Was, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it got me thinking about w- how this story is cool with myth and prophecy and like uh, mm-hmm. m- conforming the world to the prophecy so that the myth becomes reality. Um, right. But like at one point, Jessica's watching. I don't remember if it's a ritual or or what, but she's watching like a Fremen thing, and she like sees the story playing out. And she's touched by it. And she, like, at the same time recognizes, she's like, why am I being moved by this? Like, I know this is all fake. Like, I know the right. story that Paul's just, like, manipulating this. But it still, like, has the power. And, like, if you want to do a meta thing with that, 
that can happen when you're reading a book, right? Like you're in this world mm. and like you know that there's just this dead paper in your hands, but at the same time it like makes you feel stuff. And that's kind of Yeah. I don't know, that's kind of some hidden totally. shit, but I like it. Yeah, I have never great. felt more emotional than when I read The Road. Oh, there we <laughs> go. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good. Nice. So Oh, well, I, I also like I digress. I also like how we get uh, uh, an insult here uh, to learn about the vulgarity the Fremen use. Uh, do as she says, you worm-faced, crawling, sand-brained piece of lizard turd. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's great. I love when authors don't want to curse in their book, but they like they just use turd instead. <laughs> like yeah. Stephen, King. like turds, like some universal like. Uh, word across the galaxy. Well, yeah, that people exactly. Use for feces. Yes, pe- people <laughs> they, who don't want to say shit, even in the far human history across galaxies, <laughs> still say turd. Turd. That's what's I. I always laugh. I always notice that because it is. It is funny to think that he's created this whole weird world. We have crazy, unpronounceable names in galaxies we've never it's heard ultra of. Ultra violence. Yeah, but we. He still like we still get like you motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like oh, we still have the term motherfucker in the year eighty thousand. <laughs> AD. I know, and it's like, oh, everybody speaks English too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but that's part of like the check the globalization of or, well, or the globalization of America and the galaxization of America. Damn. And beyond. Okay, and beyond. So this 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 part we could talk about forever because again we've it's it okay. just sets up really quick though. Let's talk about like how Jessica and Paul really get in because like. Jessica shows her shit in the fight, but they still aren't quite sure about her, it seems like. And then... Yes, because she, she doesn't admit to being a Benny Jezra, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But I think he, Stilgar, basically calls her out and says, I know you are because of your oh, abilities, you being ways. able to fight. And... Oh, wait, no, no. She denies being a Reverend Mother, which is true because she's not a oh, Reverend Mother. Right. right. And then, uh, then Jameis, out of, uh, I think, what was Jealousy... And anger that he got, uh, you know, de-weaponed by yeah. Paul. Uh, he was the one who initiated the their sacred, like, fighting ritual. It's a duel, right? A duel, yeah. And It's time to duel. Paul doesn't know that their rule is to the death. So they're dueling. Right. And at one point he asks, asks Jameis or whatever if he'll yield. And they're like, no, Paul, our rule is that you must fight until the death. <laughs> and Paul's never killed anybody, yeah. but he's... We also asked him to yield Wait, before they even do fight, they, too. Do they, do they duel the first night, like, right then, or do they, yeah, do they wait a little sure. bit? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's pretty quick. I believe they okay. go yeah, to they... the Siege Tabor, the the Siege being a Fremen, uh, like, hole in the rock. So they go to Siege Tabor, which will come up time and time again. It's kind of their base. And I believe that they go right away because he offended them and he needs to prove that they're worth uh, yeah. them protecting them. Because remember, like... Well, it was even before they got... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's just also, like, they and they bring it up a little bit, like, you guys are, uh, are a Takwa. Like, you guys are... You could buy us a lot of spice if we trade you to the Harkonnens. Mm-hmm. Like, you are the mo- literally the most wanted humans on this planet right now. Mm-hmm. So... It's we can kind of do whatever the fuck we want. And at one point, Jessica r- recognizes that. I think it's her, and she's like, "Is there a pr- is there like a reward for us?" They're kind of right. feeling out what's going on. 
So yeah, Paul but, fights Jameis and kills. Before him. we get to the fight, I want to bring up because okay, we okay, do okay. meet another very main character here. We meet oh, we meet Chani. Yeah. Yeah. Chani, Chani, Shani. Chani, yes. Chani. Chani is how they said In a very classic meet cute. Doesn't she like? Doesn't Paul like when uh, Jessica attacks? He like kind of goes away into the shadows to to hide. And doesn't Shani like capture him or something? Yeah, and and I thought that was really cool. Like because of like we talked about uh, last episode, we talked about how uh, women are kind of treated in Dune as kind of. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's a couple of them that are like very badass, right? Like the Benny Gesserit and like uh, like and I don't know all the like females are like very strong, but they also fit very traditional female roles. And, like, right. a lot of them, like, being subservient to Paul, you know, like, like his mom always being in amazement of him. And, like, uh, Jameis' wife, after he defeats Jameis, like, he gets his wife as, like, basically a maid. Slave. That he can fuck, yeah, slave, basically, that he could, like, have sex with, but because he's Paul and, like, austere, he's, like, not gonna do that. And there's a lot of emphasis on marrying for the sake of the family. Right. And, like, to bring families together, like... Yeah, but what was cool you think was with, like, with Shawnee... With Shani, like, that was, like, where you got, like, that, that was, like, the first, I mean, all the, a lot of the females are strong, but this one was, like, a true, like, you know, she basically cornered Paul. Yeah. And, like, I remember after everyone's, like, okay, it's good to come down now. Like, she's, like, I could have killed you, like, ten minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I yes. was just and, waiting and she, for you. I believe she's also his age, so it's not, like, like, I, where it makes sense. Like, I think Jamis's wife is, like, pretty much older than him. Yeah. But we have to remember, yeah, too, right. where... I, she has two kids. Yeah, she already has two kids. But everything, it's just one of those things where, like, she just was fine with it. She's like, yeah, you killed my husband, and now I just married you, bro. That's just how, well, What's up? they have protocols. Just, you want to right? bang? Like, and that, I think, speaks to, again, like, kind of the Fremen, like, density of everything they do. Like, it just has to matter a lot. And yeah. it also ends up being a nice plot thing because it gives Paul and Jessica a pretty quick way in, right? Like, as soon as he kills Jameis and shows that he's like a kid that can fucking beat a warrior then yeah they're all of a sudden they're in right and but he also had to then uh, there was actually one more step after that he had to then receive Jameis's water yeah. right and he felt really weird about that i think probably you uh, know it yeah. probably was, it was yeah, like, yeah. tasted like fucking shit <laughs> no but i remember weird blood water and also the he cried for ja- he cried for Jameis. yeah and that was right. he shed deal. water Yes, like, for the dead. That was never, yeah, water right. For the dead. Like, that would never happen. That's what it was, yeah. He shed water for the dead. Be- shed for the dead. Because they will cry <laughs> for the dead. Like, the Fremen will cry when they're sad for their dead, but according to their way, like, he just killed a warrior in a fair battle, so there's no reason for him to feel sad. To cry, yeah. And, right. But I just figured their tear ducts were dry. They, they put up corks in them to stop themselves from, <laughs> from wasting water. They just suck them dry in their still suits. Yeah. My tears taste so good. <laughs> okay. Doesn't that sound okay, okay. delicious? Um, Sweaty so, tear water. Wait, so, so he receives the water and cries for the dead, and it's like a big deal. Yeah. And then then he's in. Yeah. And then uh, what about his mom becomes a reverend mother? That was like one of the next steps, mm. right? One, she, once they get that happened a little that happened a little well, later they do, after they get back to the place right because they do have to do a couple more hurdles right to like get fully in because mm-hmm. they uh this battle or the the duel took place at whatever water chamber they were at one of their like underground cavern chambers like cooper was saying a ch a ch the mm-hmm. siege chamber, and yeah. then 
And then after that, after all of that, uh, with Jameis and the water ritual, that's when they travel back to their actual home base where, like, the wives and children are. Is that where the water is, too? Yes. No, the water. We should talk. Can we find that passage? It all, no, no, the water is where they had the duel at. It, it all happens in the same place. I believe they all. it's all in yeah, Seek Tabor. Yeah. No, I think it's in two separate places. I think... Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty positive. Like, they had to travel then again after that. And when they got back, she's like, oh, so you're... I've been told my husband's dead or something. Right. Well, cause it, it's, it's actually a while before... There we go. You are Paul Maudib. Oh, yeah, because he gives himself that. We, we, oh, after we he wins. We skipped yeah. over that. So he wins the battle. That's when he goes Jameis, right? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, he he, uh, he tells himself. Um, and again, and, oh, we, we keep getting these visions, right? I, I love these passages we get because before the duel, uh, Jameis is uh, yelling at Jessica being like, I, I don't under like I don't think that you are the prophecy. You just know the prophecy is kind of implying like he's right. He's not wrong. And she says, and again, she wondered at the way the missionary or protectiva's work had been twisted on this planet. So she even herself is is sort of questioning, like, I thought I knew because I'm a Bene Gesserit, but I don't know what the generations have done to our prophecy. Because it seems a little bit further than I remember. And then again, we keep getting these glimpses now that Paul has been able to trip balls and open his third eye. And he goes... (laughs) And again, he remembered the vision of fanatic legions following the green and black banner of the Atreides, pillaging and burning across the universe in the name of their prophet Maudib. This must not happen, he told himself. So again, that's going... So he sees these visions, and we can be frank with these visions. He sees fucking jihad. Ultimate global... Not even global. Galactic Intergalactic. Where yeah. just mm-hmm. billions of humans with, will live lot like lose their lives because he will have unleashed the Fremen power and they will have and to, the Atreides banner will be waving above it, all which was so yes. cool, dude. Because all of this is taken, you know, like you feel like you know it's very traditional. Like there's a lot of, you know, like like elements of like messianism and like you're rooting for Paul because like they're the most upright and like this kind of like torchbearer in this like insane world. But, but you also then, like, don't want it. Right, but if Paul doesn't want it, like Paul, no, because like, no human wants him. that. That's insane. Like we have to remember what his vision is and what he's fighting against, despite going with every like just trying to work within the framework of that's like the curse of knowing the future, right? We're told in this book, like he knows what he has to do in order to stop it and also to not like he knows all the paths he could take, <coughs> but they mm-hmm. they all eventually lead to fucking. <clears throat> jihad like they all and that was the yeah, holocaust I, of the galaxy right that was i thought really cool like you get his reflections in between events and he's like yeah, yeah. I, like that was like he's tripping over it like i still like this is the only this has to happen which is like he's, yeah, he's like, working he, for the good of everything right now but like it's going to unleash just like hell on earth yes like by freeing the fremen and getting rid of the the evil colonialist on arrakis by doing that he will essentially become the most vile despot in world human history. Like, he knows that by doing what he's doing, billions of people will lose their lives. Like, it'll be the worst war to have ever happened. Ever. Right. Hmm. Um, so I just uh, Which, did look it up. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Coop. I just was just uh, saying, it it's does... crazy that we... It, I love the framework he sets it up in, because that's such a slight... 
thing to have to remember because, of course, we want to cheer for Paul. We want to cheer for the Fremen, but we have to always keep in mind, and he does this very subtly throughout the book, that what they're fighting for is a fucking, like, holocaust that to end all holocausts. Why does that have to be a holocaust? Because he, like, he sees in visions, and as we see in the last part of the book, like, they they go at forth and rape and pillage the entire galaxy. Yeah, like, like looked at or is it Yes. Just... Yes, like they beat the like the the whole universe into submission violently. Like this is not like a peaceful like, "Yay, thanks Freeman, we've never heard of you or seen you, but thanks for taking over our planet and leading it." <laughs> and you did so by like killing every military age man mm-hmm. and <laughs> enslaving all the women like that is the future war. Right. Because need I remind you, war's not fun no matter if you agree with the side or not. Right. Um, that's fucked, man. Well, fucking Paul. Well, that's what I don't like this guy. Well, anymore. that's that's the complexity of Paul. He sees that and he's fighting. He doesn't want that to be the end. But right. he, as the book goes on, and we can talk about this later, but he sort of has to acknowledge the fact that he's fucked and been fucked since the beginning. Because remember, he's trying. To yeah. not have that happen, he doesn't right. want the jihad to happen. But he, as as at the same time, he realizes that he has to keep continuing putting up, uh, what he thought was a facade at first of being the, uh, you know, savior. <coughs> well, and he's realizing by, more and more by doing you, what he can for his loved ones. He's gonna like fuck over billions of people. Mm. Yes, like and and also it's it's the idea. It gets very fucking metaphysical but the idea of by knowing the future that future is already dependent on you knowing the future so you really can't escape it and that's sort of you know he becomes a fuck like he knows that remember the whole end of the book is this fucking insane choice where i me personally i instantly was like i don't like paul and i don't think he's a likable character and i think that was intentional like he just has to give himself into the like the flow of time and acknowledge the fact that, yes, this is what I will be doing. I am taking into my hands the millions of humans that will lose their life. And so be it. That's just what time... That made you not like him? Dude, he's not a... He's kind of a despicable character at the end of the book. Yeah. He's like his dad. just, Just like Stalin was pretty cool right in the beginning, and then you're like, oh, yikes, dude. You keep, like, murdering... Mm -hmm a lot of people like that mustache was cool at first when you were young and hot and revolutionary now you but now you're sort creepy. of disgusting <laughs> now you have like just Good dungeons dude. where you just torture people for fun because you're just a sick government leader i mean he wasn't doing any of that yet oh not yet but you know like his hordes were doing it you know like shit was nah you're right shit's i mean it's gonna happen right? dude like it's not fun it's it's <laughs> human Human nature is cyclical. Global domination is shit. usually uh, 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 pretty pretty gross. Pretty gruesome. Yeah. To, to say it. Which is funny to think because because their idea is that they're trying to drive out this corrupt system of the current emperor and Harkonnens. But in reality, they're just going to replace it with another system that resembles it. Oh, and the Fremen aren't shy of that. I mean, they talk of their right. jihad like they're a part of their myth is to fucking take over the universe. Mm-hmm. It's not us. It's right. not that beautiful idea of like let's just get rid of our 
terrible overlords. It's like, no, we want it's another imperial global civilized. Like we are the ones. Let's get rid of our terrible overlords and become terrible. Yes, and Paul has to. I want to be the boss. (laughs) And what's what's beautifully tragic about Paul again is that he has to do that. No, like like knowing that that's what's happening. He's not just like a, a a guy swept up in the in the. The thrill of things in the in the movement that's happening around him, he has to walk right. knowingly into the dark fucking abyss that is being a human despot, and just just take it like it is, just take the beatings and get on with it. Hmm. Going back, but before all of that tragedy befalls our young hero, yeah, yeah. let's go back but... to when he's a likable character still. Okay, so uh, I did find it does take place in two separate places. The fight with Jameis is in a cavern. That they find after encountering mm-hmm. Paul, uh, after their encounter, Seems and that's like where they the just water go there to is. Rest. Yeah, it's just like a little water outpost or something. Yeah, it was just something random that they knew where it was, some like secret little cavern. And then they travel back to the sea edge, where the families are after Jameis is already dead and Paul has become Muad'Dib. Yep, yep. He gives himself Paul Muad'Dib. Can we He's... go to that moment? That's a big moment where he like names. He, so I have a question. Was, he so... was before that right that was well he's no it's like at the same time and that's what my question is at the same time another name yeah at the same time that the fremen call him usul he gets to choose to be also called muadib paul muadib yes right and he wants to keep paul because of his Usul means the base of the pillar it's very strong right and that's their private is only his tribe can use that with him right yeah oh okay that's what my question was but then muadib is a public name if for anybody that's not part of his that specific friend tribe. True. Okay, that's what I was wondering. And then, of course, we get, yeah, so he calls himself, he's like, I am an Atreides, Paul whispered, and then louder, it's not right that I give up entirely the name my father gave me. Could I be known among you as Paul Maudib? And then Stilgar says, you are Paul Maudib. And then whisperings around the cavern goes like, it's the legend. It's, <laughs> it's the lease on Al-Gaib. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Very, very, very fun. Very fun. And then I believe. Um, but it's for reasons like that that made this book so easy to just breeze through. Oh, like, yeah. I was yeah. Just, it's a very. I got so caught up in the in the <laughs> pacing of this book where I would just get like 100 pages in like no time. Yes, Dan, exactly. you want to talk about that real quick? You were you had. Something yeah, the to say. pacing. So um, I was reading online and like, like I think what I've learned from this is just it's, it's just the way like it's terrible to just read about books before you've read. Yeah, them, like completely, and but they, like everyone was like, "Oh, like the first part's great, the second part like sucks or like pales in comparison." I don't know what you guys thought. I didn't find that mm-hmm. at all. Like, like no. the the, the one issue I found with the pacing, like I thought it was all like, like I said, like you start off, you're like, okay, this is gonna take a long time to get places, but it's gonna be well worth the effort, you know. And you're gonna right. like get more involved into this world he's trying to build, and. At the end, like, it, it, it kind of felt like it was the same pace and, like, it was great all through the Fremen trials and mm-hmm. the Reverend Mother stuff, like, the really good scenes. But, like, it, it felt – it didn't fall flat, but it just kind of, like, that stopped in the last scene. Like, as epic as it was, it was, like, there's all these stories going on. Like, Frank Herbert has all these stories yeah. and backstories and, like, st- plots within plots and, like, people turning on each other. And then, like, within, like, <coughs> 50 pages, he's like, well – like mm-hmm. now Paul is like the master. He's mm-hmm. basically has all the cards in his hand. Voila. Yes. I had like, that Paul too. Has one. Where I was like, I, I also I, felt that listening. I, I, Cause I read that part in like a day and I was like, like, I, Oh yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to what your experience was listening to it. Cause 
when I read it, like I was like, did I just do that in a day? Like I felt yeah, like I've yeah. spent so long <laughs> reading this and like all of the, all, there were so many threads and they all just got tied up yeah. in yeah. a bow. Well, there were so, times yeah, where like, about reading or listening. Yeah. I thought I like missed a part. Right. Cause like when you're listening, sometimes I'd like set it down and it would keep going and like, right. I'd have to go back and find my place. So like, a couple times I would like start listening and be like, wait, what the fuck? Like, ha- has it been years? Like, Paul has a kid now? And like. Well, there, there is a right. big time jump. There is a huge time mm-hmm. jump. Yeah, where does that happen? That threw me off at first, too. Is that like a distinct spot? See, that's where like the book experience would be a lot different because there's like, oh, new chapter or whatever. You can kind of get it might, oriented. It, it has to be a new chapter. Mm-hmm. I would, it would be crazy if it was in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. No, I'm pretty sure it was then, because it was like. Let me find it. I think it's right before that that um, Jessica becomes, what's it called? A mother. The Reverend Mother. Yeah. Right. That and was we like should maybe talk about that. that. That's that's solidified well, their, yeah. their standing They're, with all the Fremen. Because then she agrees right. to teach them the weirding way. It was sort of like a failed threat. Like she needed to do that. Right. And then they also see, like I think she shows them more of her powers. And they're like, I'll teach you these to help you bite right well and- uh, i also want to go back real quick before we move on because this is another part about paul's uh we'll, we'll, we'll see well actually we'll only see in this part because afterwards when the time jump and his when he becomes leader of the fremen he sort of stops uh, thinking to himself what is it that he's doing mm-hmm. he sort of dives into it and this is so this is the last part i believe one of the last parts where he like just sort of wonders to himself what the fuck is happening and it says paul hearing these words realized that he had plunged once more into the abyss into blind time there was no past occupying the future in his mind except except he could still sense the green and black atreides banner waving somewhere ahead still see the jihad's bloody swords and fanatic legions it will not be he told himself i cannot let it be but from that point on, once he mm. becomes leader, he just sort of gives himself into the, the fruitless, um, the power, just the uh, yeah, it, it just acknowledging that this is fucking just what has to be. But yes, yeah, so then we we go. Jamis is buried. Uh, Chani is getting uh, closer and closer to to Paul because she's told to be one... his kind of guy like, liaison, or friend yeah. in the siege. Mm-hmm. Um, puppy, puppy love and the rest mm-hmm. and then we get to yeah Jessica becoming a reverend mother by just fucking taking 200 hits of LSD straight yeah the basically <laughs> right. so what is it? it's the last exhalations of a sandworm yes. and it's like the, yes. it's, it's not water it's like it's own thing right? well it's like, like spice it's like the most pure form of spice Raw, oh. okay, that's right. Yeah, and oh, it's, I remember they cool. said it's like a liquid spice. It's it's a really big deal because if she, it's 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 yeah. it's another one of the you know a lot of the tests in the trials in here death is you know basically the only other option other than success. Mm. And it, this is a sim, but this one like I remember I don't know exactly what about it, but it, like the book communicated like this one would like definitely fuck her up. If she's not a reverend mother, she's gonna die. Yeah. and like the chances of her being a reverend mother were like. Zero, mm-hmm. if I remember. Um, oh shit! Oh sorry, sorry. I just found another part. That's this. Well, I think they. Oh yeah, go ahead. This, this is Jessica getting prepped for the the ceremony, and Paul sat silently in the darkness, a single stark thought dominating his awareness. My mother is my enemy. She does not know it, but she is. She's bringing the jihad. She bore me. She trained me. She is my enemy. 
and we'll see that later. He 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 kind of like treat he he pulls like a full Jesus on the cross thing, where like when when Mother Mary comes and when he's being prosecuted, and he's like, "Mother, stand back," and he he just because she doesn't have the the premonition of the future, so she can't see that by her actions she's bringing about again his worst fucking fear, which is the jihad. Well, and she also, like, forced him. Remember, there's a moment. I don't, again, I don't remember where, but there's a moment where she apologizes to him for, like, making him into something. Yeah, I think that was back when he first tripped balls in the yeah. the tent. And he, again, became pretty antagonistic towards his mm-hmm. mother. Um, and hey, is everyone still recording, said, by the way? Just want to check and make sure your shit's rolling. Yeah. Yeah, I'm recording. Yep. Recording. I just want to say... Again, before we get into her tripping balls, we get a little bit more into Fade Rautha Harkonnen and like that evil. Oh yeah, he, you know, he, that happens before, right around the same time, right? Right. It's the next chapter. He goes on his seventeenth birthday. Fade Rautha Harkonnen killed his one hundredth slave, gladi- slave gladiator in the family games. Mm. So we, it builds the idea that he's an incredibly skilled fighter because he's just a fucking child sociopath mm-hmm. who's been trained by this the is... empire's best uh, assassins and shit. This is one of my favorite uh, chapters because uh, so it starts that part and you get to meet that uh, what's his count Fenring or whatever oh, yes his <laughs> Benny Gesserit who are kind of character. like the they call like the lap dog of the emperor or whatever yes. he kind of goes around and is like you need to do this yes. because he said so <laughs> and it's like a fu- he talks really weird too he's like um, 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 oh, yeah. I don't even know well yeah it's it's a form of hypnosis a lot of leaders in like cult leaders oh. will, will talk like that they'll talk very uh, very strangely like that because a you kind of just get uh, you get lulled into what they're saying yeah okay that makes sense and then uh so you get to see them in like so apparently they do these big games where they have the gladiators face off in these big stadiums i almost imagine it like a big football stadium or basketball stadium <laughs> well it's like the coliseum it's 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 like yeah it's again just like making the harkonnens like further into like but a despicable i even imagine it more grand than that because this is like a futuristic space society so imagine like the stadiums we build for sports nowadays with in 2018 and even ap- apply it probably more lavishly to the Harkonnens like stadium and i just think that's crazy you know uh and then uh, I really liked uh, how Fade, he, uh, well, he he duels with two knives. One is pointed, one has poison at the mm-hmm. tip, and he always carries it in his white gloved hand. Right. And then there's all, then he has another hand that's his black glove, which is like the non-poisoned knife, and he like it's like come some kind of symbolistic thing. Well, he's also just it's, he's a cheater. Like we get like he right. he will always win because he's always gonna make sure he wins by carrying. A poison the dart. Poison. But people at this point it would talk about how they knew that he had the poison when he was dueling. Right, but they're also so slaves, like, so they can't like. Right, right. I mean, they're forcing slaves yeah. to fight him. It's, which is again like it's. So it's like a taunting thing. It's like, oh, they know the poison's mm. coming, but how long oh, are they yeah. gonna be able to hold it off? Right. And that's kind of a fucked up psychological thing. It's like you know you're gonna die a really gruesome way. Yeah, because so, he's a fucking psychopath. Like he's just a crybaby rich sociopath who literally gets kills to... slaves. <laughs> oh, that was the other thing with these. They would also because uh, they mentioned they would give them drugs to drugs to the slaves that made them like Shitty. really ravenous oh. and like uh, boost their testosterone. 
so that they would like instead of cowering they would like uh commit to fight him right under a drug mm-hmm. state so that it was like a you know spectacle well, which makes sense because again these are like slave gladiators so they're probably like emaciated right. they haven't been fed except for just like stale crusts of bread they're just like captured from the slave colony like that would not be fun to see I mean, it wouldn't be fun to see regardless, right. but, like, they got to fucking give them some meth so they can at least make it mm. a fun-looking fight. Mm. And this is where Hawat comes back into it, too, because he's helping... He's, like, the right-hand mentat to Fade Rautha. Yep. And they come up with that plan where uh, they enter a, a slave without the drugs, yep. but who's been told to, like, fight him as if he... Because I think the drugs also, like, kind of paralyze their movement so they're not as quick... They're more aggressive, but they're not at like they're, they're good. it constricts their muscles mm-hmm. or something. You know, science shit. Well, I also love here. Yeah, we we get a little bit more, a little bit more into you know, like uh, Count Frenring's talking to the Count, and he kind of like implies he's like, oh well, what about the Southern Hemisphere, Arrakis, and and uh, Harkonnen's like, well, that's uninhabitable, and he's like, who told you that? And he's like, well, the the plantologist Kynes did. And he's like, well, I would check that place out if I were you. And then I believe also like, my little birdies yes, have told me otherwise. Exactly, and I believe also this is where we kind of get more of the Benny Gesserit's plan because Lord Fenring's lady is also a Benny Gesserit, mm-hmm. and doesn't he tell her like, "All right, it's time, like, go fuck Fade Rialtha and gather his yeah, sperm yeah. so that you can give, so we can continue manipulating the genes of the royal families." Totally, because they want to have uh, also some kind of, I think, uh, something to hold over the Harkonnens' head too. Right. And, you know, what's better than having, you know, offspring of your heir apparent? Yeah. So, whew, we're, we're really cruising through this. We only have four, five hundred more pages left to go. <laughs> oh, damn, that's it? We're just, we're really kind of chugging along here. Should we keep going well, with this, or? Well, let's talk just a little, there are a couple big scenes that are worth mentioning, and, like, one of them we talked about, but, like, I feel I need to wrap up on is, uh, Jessica becoming the Reverend Mother, yeah. and like yeah. what that meant. So like, she 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 takes the LSD basically. She drinks the Kool Aid, mm-hmm. the spice poop, and then spice. basically, um, you, we find out what it means to be a Reverend Mother, right? Which is like yes, yes. It, it's to in all of the all of the consciousnesses, or the plural of consciousness, all of the separate consciousnesses of of the, the consciousness I. Consciousness, yeah, all right. All of the, the consci- consciousness eye of the Reverend Mothers, uh, like live in the live in the mind, basically of a Reverend Mother. Mm. Yeah, right. So she has access so she, yeah. to everything. Now, is it every every Reverend Mother, or is it every Reverend Mother for that specific tribe? I, no, I, like house. Forever, I thought it was like all. Uh, yeah, that's a, I yeah. thought. Re- okay. Yeah, Reverend Mother was like a like a very elite group, which was like like, and it made sense that way. Like they like they literally gotcha. like. How is the consciousness of all of them in one of them? And it, but it also sort of, because then we can talk about, because then Paul fucking drinks the shit too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, right. he sees what happened to his mother and realizes that part of the prophecy and part of his journey is to also uh, drink that like super condensed spice, and right. it almost right. kill, it almost kills him, but. He also gains all of the Benny. Je- I mean, he it's it's his. He is the Quizak Hatterack. Right, Boom. that's how he becomes it. Right. Yes. Like yeah, dumb. he becomes the 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 man version of the Benny Jesuit. But again, it's kind of confusing 
because I believe at some points it refers to like his ability. He he can like he has the consciousness of like Genghis Khan in his mind and like Alexander the Great mm. and like Joan of Arc as well as all of the other Bene Gesserit and all the other people. It sounds like he just has like all of human conscious. Yeah, in right. in his mind. Sounds like he's been doing PCP. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he's he's schizophrenic. Yeah. That too, PCP and schizophrenia. But wait, why is he? Why does he pressured into doing the test like that? I don't think he is. I think I he remember he does to. it on his own. Yeah. People are like, "Whoa, don't yeah. do that! Yeah. You can't do that!" I must take <laughs> this. Take this drug. And he kind of just like does it quickly. And I think we're even told by like Cheney like runs to the Lady Jessica. I was like, Lady Jessica, Paul just drank that shit, and she's like, "Oh my God, no! It's going to kill him." No, isn't it that um, mm-hmm. his mother? has him like under her care for a few weeks yeah because he's like dying and does and she doesn't Mm -hmm. tell the wife about it like i think they're just wondering where paul is oh that's right isn't that right right? and then oh and then another another big thing with jessica remember she's pregnant Mm. yeah and we get this crazy new concept (gasps) that we're gonna see is like oh shit she just drank it because she didn't tell the Fremen that she was pregnant. So not only is she just like her third eye open, but so is this fucking fetus in her belly. It's third eyes open. And she like talks to her. Remember, she's just like, it's like, hello. And she's like, oh, who are you? She's like, I am inside of you right now growing. And she's uh-huh. like, oh, God. Jesus. What have God. I done? What have I done? Direct channel to my fetus. Yes. <laughs> oh, fuck. No, but then it ends up being this really cool sister to paul right just as like yeah know. what's her name i don't know if she's cool she kind of scares the shit out of i know me. i like, like her Aria. yeah same it's like it's Aria like... or something yeah oh leah yeah 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 it's it like creeps everybody me... out yeah. yeah it reminded me of like the ring or some shit yeah like, there's this little girl that's just too good at like killing and like being violent and like just a little too creepy and knowledgeable Oh, dude, because she has all of human conscious again, like tucked into her like two right. and a half year old brain. <laughs> He's right. like, I know what it is. I know what it is to love and to lose. And they're like, Well, don't you, don't you want to play with the blocks, Arya? <laughs> I've seen humans crumble beneath power. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh... Can you can you stop throwing those daggers? You're creepily good at that. <laughs> All right, so I think it's after that point that we get to <laughs> book three, The Prophet. Mm-hmm. The Prophet. Um, oh, is this where, like, Chani and... Before that, is this where Chani and uh, Paul hook up? They, they uh, hook up I around think, there. He, yeah. Wasn't she... She's tending to him? Oh, yes. Is this, this is a where fast he, forward? He's on the drug. Not yet. This is, like, oh. right after... So she's... She's tending to him after he eats the spice poop. Yes, and he tells her, I just I just have this part where he just kind of like, he knows what's going to happen. And he goes, I know you, Chani, he whispered. We sat upon a ledge above the sand while I soothed mm-hmm. your fears. We've caressed in the dark of the siege. So, it, which is crazy, right? Like, again, this is this 15-year-old boy who, like, already knows everything that's going to happen to him. So essentially, And then she's like, she's like, there's this, uh, yeah, at, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, at the end of that part, she says, "Look at me. I see what you. I see what you see when you hold me thus. What do you see?" He demanded. "I see us giving love to each other in a time of quiet uh. between storms. It's what we were meant to do." 
Right, because she has a little bit of that, because she's also addicted to spice, so she has a little bit of premonition like all the Freemen. And she looks down at her hands, I see a child in my arms, it's our child, yours and mine. She put a hand to her mouth, how can I know every feature of you? So we get this beautiful notion that they're meant to be together because they know the future and... Aww. I thought it was kind of cute. I mean, it was really, it's cute, really, guys. really yeah. quick. Again, like this section, like you said, uh, is really uh, just kind of really quick. Right, right. They kind of de- yeah. I felt my heart love. welling in my chest. Or yeah, it kind of concludes their love for each other that was building up. It's nice. Oh, it is nice. Yeah, this last part. The drug had him again, and he thought, so many times you've given me comfort and forgetfulness. He felt anew the hyper-illumination with his high relief of imagery of time, senses future becoming memories, the tender iniquities of physical love, the sharing and communication of selves, the softness and the violence. You're the strong one, Shani, he muttered. Stay with me. Always, she said, and kissed his cheek. And, that's, and then that's when they got it on. And that's when we go to book three, The Prophet. <laughs> they had the fucking crazy five-hour drug-induced sex. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. As, as we'll have to talk about later, he has to. She basically becomes the role of his mother, uh, right? Like because like he he loves her just right, like taking Lito. care of him. Well, yeah, and also this like Paul loves her just like Leto actually loved Jessica, but they, they don't they Jessica, don't end up yeah. marrying, which we can talk about later. I, Which is interesting because uh, Jessica doesn't like Chani at first or for a while because she keeps thinking, no, Paul needs to marry someone who's of higher status right. if he's going to be the leader of the Atreides house. Right. Does, and and we'll, so she's and like we'll against... That, but, yeah. Which is funny because that's like the same, like you're saying, it's a, kind of mirrors his father's thing is that he loved Jessica and people didn't want him to be with her either. Mm-hmm. And he never married know, because her. Because she wasn't... Right, and he never married her because of that reason, because she was a nobility. Right. So yeah, we skip ahead. We get a big time jump. Um, we we get the first part of the book three is uh, we're with the Harkonnens. Uh, I like this. I like this chapter here where Hawat is working. You know, they're they're plotting away. They're trying to get the Dominion, and but we keep getting these hints that after all these years, they keep hearing about these uh, this weird religious leader called. Uh, Maudib, mm-hmm. they don't know it's Paul. The Fremen are like gaining force, and there's this new Maudib guy. We get the idea that Gurney Halleck is still, you know, you know, uh, the, this new religious leader that Gurney Halleck hinted at from his hiding place among the smugglers. So we're just sort of we're, we're we're keeping tabs of all of our main characters. Things are as normal. We just have to believe that Paul was just sort of uh, building his army because he knows what's going to happen. So he's been putting those years into. Um, building and training and becoming more Fremen. So I think I found the time jump. Hell yeah. Hit us with the time jump, Uh, Drake. Sorry, I'll work on my sound effects for next episode. Please. (laughs) This is me being a glacier. Oh god, fuck. Oh, oh, iceberg. What? Fuck, you I said it wrong. I even fucked up my own joke. joke. God damn it. What the hell? Okay, anyways. So, uh... Oh, so... For me, I have a different edition than you guys, so mine's like six sixteen. But, uh... Is it a chapter? It starts with... Paul Muadib remembered that there had been a meal heavy with spice essence. Uh. And so it's like, that's when he jumps into it. It's like him remembering... Uh, let, let me keep... He clung to this memory because it was an anchor point, and he could tell himself from this vantage that his immediate experience must be a dream. 
And so then he goes on to talk uh, at the beginning of this part about dreaming and he uh, what's dreaming, what's not. Mm. We learn that he has a son now, Leto 2, Leto, yeah. Leto Part 2. We learn um, that we Aaliyah ever... is born. Yep, right. Aaliyah was born. And she's um, Him and Shawnee right? are together. Um, what did, Have we talked at all? I don't think we have about how there's a... The... Fade Rafa, however, whatever we've agreed to say for that character's name. Uh, Fr. How, Franklin Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah Fr. How Fr <laughs> actually is part of a subplot against his uncle, right? Because there's a there's a attempt on his uncle's life, and he like that was a very small chapter, but I remember it showed like he basically like does an outburst, and then wasn't the fear or Thuffer or whatever his name wasn't he in on it too? Like he was with Fade. Fr and like, you know, I th- I think uh, it was wasn't it the scene at the end of the his battle with the slave where his or the Baron uh, like uh, confronts him about it. Maybe maybe, but I thought it was sandwiched sandwiched in between shit. I'm not sure because I remember that oh, okay. was a really long chapter, and then I I thought this came like randomly interspersed somewhere, and it was basically you might like, totally be right, but like basically like the Vladimir finds out that like he's trying to kill him, and he's like comes out pissed. Like I'm trying to make you emperor, basically, and he's like, he's like, I'm gonna die, but I'm doing this for the, for the Harkonnen flag, right? I know, I know. It, I think it just further shows, just again, like how fucking dilapidated this family is, where it's like they're just all plotting to kill each other. I'm mean, like, the Harkonnen, the the Harkonnen and Mistons so of the the Vladimir, like. I know that you're trying to kill me. <laughs> like, everybody's trying to kill me. I'm a gross but, Isn't that funny, too? That yeah. also... I have fucking flying suspenders that hold up my fucking fat. Oh, yeah. But we see that in the Atreides household, too. Remember in that one of the epigraphs, like, the princess's account of um, what happened? Like, she talks about how her dad plotted against their li- Like, they're pretty sure their dad plotted against their lives. Or, like, would plot against their lives. <laughs> Oh, well, that's the right. Emperor Padishah. Yeah, he's again yeah. another despicable character. Was it the Emperor? I thought it was... Yes, because Princess Arulin's dad is the Emperor I Padishah. See. Okay, okay. Yeah, and... I see, I was confused about that for the longest time too, Phil. I thought Arulin was Paul's yeah. daughter telling the... No way, but dude. But then I, there came a couple spots where it very subtly member, uh, in those epigraphs mentions the Emperor Padishah and her saying, Dad... And that's where Ooh, I like. I didn't subtle. catch it to like. Very yeah, subtle. yeah. I didn't, Shut up. Cooper. I didn't catch it. <laughs> well, no, it's because it says dad, but then at the bottom, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then the. Very, well, I think there's only a couple of times that it says it like that. And then the very oh, subtle ending where her dad, the Emperor Padishah, gives her to Paul to marry. That was very subtle. <laughs> oh, the very subtle part where they were subtly riding on top of sandworms. Yeah, right. It was. It was really into tell. that. <laughs> okay all right okay anyways i do want to uh uh i want to go back to the time jump part though and kind of read a little more of that first because i think it's a really cool it was a kind of a cool way that they it subtly hinted at uh time travel okay anyways uh so at the i read that first part um he clung to his memory because an anchor point i'm at a theater of process he told them processes he told himself I am a prey to the imperfect vision, to the race of consciousness and its terrible purpose. Yet he could not escape the fear that he had somehow overrun himself, lost his position in time, so that past and future and present mingled without distinction. It was a kind of visual fatigue, and it came, he knew, from the constant necessity of holding the 
fu- oh sorry the constant necessity of holding the future as a kind of memory that was itself a thing intrinsically of the past and so i think that was a really now looking back at that realizing it was the you know him jumping forward in time uh i kind of it was like paul like sorry it was like we were disoriented as readers jumping into this future like phil said listening it to it or reading and it's almost as if paul is also disoriented and he doesn't even really remember the last two years either yeah it's like this whole big jumbled mess and now we're being thrown into the the future two years just like kind of how at the beginning of the book we're kind of thrown into this world without any mm. kind of uh preconception of what we're really getting into and that you're just supposed to know you know things right. yeah oh god sorry I just, i'm just skipping ahead for there where hurrah asked Aaliyah what was it like to become conscious and she refers to like <laughs> I was I woke up and I was in a warm dark place and I tried to escape but there was no escape. So she's referring to like being trapped in her mom's womb. Mm-hmm. Like how terrifying right. would that be if you become fully conscious and you're just like this tiny growing <laughs> fetus. I have to go out of where? Where do I exit? Right, being able to remember your birth like they they say that we don't remember cuz it's so traumatic. So imagine uh imagine being fully conscious mm-hmm. of that entire right. process. Anyways, totally. and that leads to, I'm sure, all of our fucking favorite parts where Paul is required if he wants to become a full Fremen. Despite his uh, religious leadership role and military leadership role, he still is not full Fremen because he's never ridden a sandworm. Yeah. So we right. we, we get to Bug. that shit. Yeah. This is where I got real excited. Well, it's awesome. I mean, it goes really into depth about how they do it, and it's, it's fun because Paul can't see in the future, so he doesn't know if he does it or how he does it, so... It's just him being a human again. Because, again, I don't know about you guys, but as this went on, Paul lost his humanity more and mm. more for me because yeah, he became this sure. all-knowing entity who just... He he was not afraid of making mistakes mm. because he knew ahead of time what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. So he just was like... I imagined him being sort of like a drugged out... You mm. know, a, a, he, just, he, he just probably was a, this vacant, doe-eyed, empty man because he just knew what was happening. Um, I love this part. It's, it's the after chapter after he rides the sandworm. It's the epigraph where he says, it's from the Maudib 99 Wonders of the Universe. It says, when law and duty are one, united mm-hmm. by religion, you never become fully conscious, fully aware of yourself. You are always a little less than an individual. Mm. So I love this sandwriting part because we get a little bit of that human back that we all fell in love with, like the action character that is Paul <laughs> Maudib. Because again, I don't know about you guys, but... I just, Paul just kept becoming this, like, empty vessel of a cult leader where mm-hmm. he just, he just talks in this monotone because he doesn't need to inflect anything. He he makes choices because he doesn't have to. He just does them because he knows mm-hmm. what he's going to do and what's going to happen. That must be so insane, which is why Chani is so important yes. to him because it's like his little bit of humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Where are we at plot wise? Well, it's, we can talk for the far next. From... So the worms. the worms. Can we talk like read a little bit about the worms? Just because. Uh, I'm I'm on the part where he's like jumping Get onto it. it with his hooks. Do it, do it. You want? Okay. Fire it up. <clears throat> You've. I'm gonna read like a good chunk. That's alright. Okay. You've ridden the little ones bred for the seed in the water of life, Stilgar has said. 
But what you'll summon for your test is a wild maker, an old man of the desert. You must have proper respect for such a one. Now the thumper's deep drumming, blending with the hiss of the approaching worm. Paul breathed deeply, smelling mineral bitterness of sand even through his filters. The wild maker, the old man of the desert, loomed almost on him. Its cresting front segments its cresting front segments through a sand wave that would sweep across his knees. Come up, you lovely monster, he thought. Up. You hear me calling. Come up. Come up. The wave lifted his feet. Surface dust swept across him. He steadied himself, his world dominated by the passage of that sand-clouded curving wall, that segmented cliff, the ring lines sharply defined in it. Paul lifted his hooks, sighted along them, leaned in. He felt them bite and pull. He leaped upward, planting his feet against that wall, leaning out against that clinging, the clinging barbs. This was the true instant of the testing. If he had planted the hooks correctly at the leading edge of a ring segment, opening the segment, the worm would not roll down and crush him. The worm slowed. It glided across the thumper, silencing it. Slowly it began to roll up, up, bringing those irritant barbs as high as possible away from the sand that threatened the soft inner lapping of its ring segment. Paul found himself riding upright atop the worm. He felt ex- exul- exultant. Exultant. Is that the word? Exultant? Exultant, sorry. Like an emperor surveying his world, he suppressed a sudden urge to cavort there, to turn the worm, to show off his mastery of this creature. Boom. So fucking badass. Hell yeah. So that's, that's the worm. That's worm the wonder. Riding. And he's a friend. Giant... Yeah, he's... So he's basically putting these barbs in the side of it, and it's like, oh, fuck, that hurts. What's that? And it's like rolling oh. upward and pulling him up. Right, because they have these segmented uh, armor plates that by, mm-hmm. by lifting them with the barbs, it exposes their soft underbelly, and they don't want that to get sand in it. So. Right. What, what a natural explanation for, like, you know, making a badass bit in your book. Like, oh, well, naturally... Like, if you have a worm and it gets a gash in its side, it's going to try to avoid the ground because that would hurt. So, naturally, they can if they put their hooks in, they're going to have to ride the thing, and it's going to work So, this fine. is giant, isn't it? How big is its, its mouth? Is it 30 meters or 80? Or yes. 30? Yes. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, they're huge, and they have crystal teeth, so it's incredibly sharp. Yeah. Do they, they go pretty insane. fast, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, at least yeah. sprinting or, like, human sprinting speed? Fast enough to, like, you know, swallow a fucking flying machine. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so. Moving so then on, they ride around the, the desert. Yep, they ride around the desert. Joy yeah, ride. Oh, man. To... This part was fucking sick. Yeah, it was. It was. I imagine myself as Paul Muad'Dib atop the Great Worm. <laughs> frolicking through the desert. Hell yeah. Okay, we get to the part where uh, where Gurney Halleck is captured by Paul Maudib and they they meet up again. Oh yes, right. Gurney Gurney again uh, reiterates his allegiance to the Atreides by saying, "My duke is dead. You are now my duke. Command me like as you wish." Um, doesn't he have a little spat with Jessica first yes. though? Because he still thinks she's yeah. He, he, thinks, he tries to and, kill then her. Then she's like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't the worry about it. We will put this behind her, us. He sneaks up behind her with a knife and holds yep. it to her back. That's right. That's what it was, yeah. Says, you killed my He's dude. like, hey, that's that fucking chick. Killed my boy. Hell yeah. Uh, we them boys. Gurney uh, is is kind of uh, off, off put or a little bit off balance when he notices that... Uh, 
of course, Paul is the fucking mystical religious leader that they've all heard about, and he refers to himself now as a Fremen, uh, as opposed to anything else, and that kind of that kind of uh, uh, takes Gurney Halleck back because he's seeing he's seeing his his now young Duke with such power that he's never imagined, and is just sort of in awe of it. Yeah, there's someone that also helped train him when he was. Oh, he's been there since he was Young. like a, a born. Like yeah, yeah Gurney Hawks been in the family forever. So this this would be this would be crazy to have to be like, holy shit, mm-hmm. what the fuck is like, happening what? here? This, I mean, in, this was literally two years ago, and now you're fucking it, wizard. Yeah, in a way, it's almost like a um, like an Obi Wan Anakin moment. Um, sort just of in the way that but, like bec- because it's like like you've got all this fucking power. Like what the like, what are you gonna? How can you control this? Like you've got too much power. It's, it's the power, but I also think it, it's even weirder than that because it's it's sort of like the, it's like Lawrence of Arabia again, like Gurney Halleck. They they were dukes. They were a wealthy family, and these the Fremen are remember are just like dirty desert religious fanatics. So now you like are seeing your young duke that you've mm. seen since he was a baby, and he's just like dressed in religious garbs. All these religious fanatics are being like, "Oh yes, Maudi, thank you." He's not like they're just like referring to me in these crazy names. They're all like, Mm-mm. "It is just like, what the fuck is happening, dude? <laughs> right. Like, what is like, what have you done <laughs> for real though? You'd be crazy. You'd be like, um, what are they calling you? Anakin, the chosen one." <laughs> Darth Muad'Dib. <laughs> well, because at least with, like, Anakin and Obi-Wan, like, they were both Jedi. So I was like, oh, you're a Jedi with crazy powers. This is more just like, what are you wearing, dude? Like, right, right. Yeah, that's a good You're just, you're eating kangaroo mice now and just drinking blood water from the <laughs> slain enemies? Like, what the fuck? He's like, well, dude, have you ever tried blood water? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, no, because he doesn't talk like that anymore. Remember, he's like, he's super religious now, so it'd be like, all oh, the blood water mm-hmm. is the chosen water, my young sir. And he's like, I'm Gertie Halleck. What the fuck is happening, dude? Like, talk to me normal. I am normal. What is normal? Like, fuck, I hate your non, like, your bullshit. <laughs> we all know what normal is, and this is not normal. But what is normal? Oh, shut up, Paul. <laughs> well, there's that funny moment where. Gurney's like, I noticed that these Fremen were using, like, tactics that I would could have thought of myself. That, yes, that yes, that is it, cool. Because you were helping organize them. Yes, that was, yeah. Gurney that, was that his teacher. So cool. Well, and the introduction <laughs> was, was cool, cool, too, because, like, Stilgar knew Gurney just from, like, legends, because he's, like, one of the best military dudes ever, right? Or, like, mm-hmm. as a Duke's right-hand man, too. Yeah, he knew of him before, like, when they first met yeah. Paul. And then, yeah, and then also now he's just, like, a, a pirate on Arrakis. Mm-hmm. And he's he's the one who sings all the time, right? Yep, yeah. yeah, he carries, like, he's the loot singing. around. <laughs> right, they're always like, Gertie, let's hear one of your numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it'd be My funny. Baby yeah, is uh, loving me, uh, yes, yeah, like, yes, this yes, part where he's like, Gurney was like looking at him and he's like, your mouth deep, he asked. You're the will of the sand. And Paul's like, you know Fremen name. It's no big deal. I'm just the will of the sand now. <laughs> it's Yo, whatever. I'm just the bringer of all light to the Fremen people. The one who will get them from the darkness into global uh, control. So yeah, it's what up. What I up, got dude? a mixtape out. 
Working on another <laughs> yeah, one. It's, it's fire. <laughs> fire. Yeah. Will of the Sand would so be yeah, a so dope is, rap name. Will of the Sand, that'd be pretty cool. Will of the Sand, yeah. So, yes, Gurney Lil, Halleck. No, no, no. Lil Muad'Dib. <laughs> there we go. And Young Sand. Lil Muad'Dib and Young Sand. Oh shit! And, uh, and remember too. So, wonderful. So 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 Gurney Halleck swears his allegiance to the Fremen cause. Basically, well, not to, he swears his allegiance to to Paul, and it's just like I guess I just do this now because you're still my duke, uh, but I'm not gonna call you Will of the Sand if that's chill. Like I'm just gonna call you Spice Paul. Face Killer. <laughs> there we go. And then this is a huge part. Remember the Fremen? We we don't really have we haven't really known their fighting prowess. We've heard hints of it. But at this part, when Gurney has just been captured and he swore his allegiance, a bunch of commotion happens and a bunch of Fremen come in and they've captured a Sardaukar. Mm. You guys remember that? Right. Yes. They're like, they're like, we came across this Sardaukar troop, killed a bunch of them and captured this one. What should we do with them, Paul? And Paul's like, whoa. Whoa. Did you guys get the blood water? <laughs> no. Remember, he doesn't kill them, doesn't he? No. He, he, like, asks, like, tries to get information and then, like, lets him go be like, go back to your people and tell them that we're about to come fuck y'all up. Yeah. So We're about to ride in on worms. Well, yeah, we're getting, we're getting further and further into the plot. You know, we've kind of touched on it, the idea that the Harkonnens are making moves to make FR, uh, at least that, because they're, they're ruling... Arrakis now. The Hardikers mm-hmm. now rule Harkinans. Arrakis. The Harkonnen. Where, where did I get that you said from? the Harkoners. Harkoner, you, you, you mix Sardaukar and Harkonnen. <laughs> That's right. Sardikin. So the Harkonnen <laughs> There's another are, name are hanging out. Oh, shit. And then we get to learn about um, Paul's fucking death squad that will do anything for him. Right. The Fadekin. Fadekin. So it's just it's it's just building. Is it? And then, do we see any? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's just that scene. Like at some point, it's just like, oh, it's the night of all the shit is going down. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's basically. And that's when they storm the place. Right. Isn't it like the the political trouble on Arrakis has gone to a head, right? Because Rabin, Rabin has done a bad job, or like it it looks like Rabin has done a bad job. So like. Uh, the Baron and Feidratha are there, and then the Emperor is there for some reason. Like everyone's on Arrakis, I remember, and it's like at night. Yes. And they're like, yes, cause doing I... recon. Because I believe the fe- the Fremen threat with with Paul Maudib is to kind of come to a head. Okay. They're all, like the empire's like we got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Fucking well, they've got all problem. their ships parked out there, right? Yeah. And, and then the fucking battle happens. So, but then the wait, wait right before him. right before the battle, we find out that Paul, like the Fremen, while those guys were out ready to plan the attack, the the Fremen were attacked, and Paul's son died. Son died. Yeah, yeah. And that was Which like he the knew last thing. Happen. Right? Yeah, that was like part of the shit he knew. And he was like, "Oh, Cause fuck it, let's go to war." Yes. 
Well, and he was like, and he was pretty casual about well, it. Well, he He's set like, it aside. You know, he can never be replaced, but there will be other sons. Yes. Don't worry. Again, like, he just knows, like, he is just this, like, mm-hmm. empty vessel of a human. We're like, Paul, your son's just been killed because your wife was attacked. And he's like, yes, I know. But there will be more. <laughs> yes, I know. Let's there the are other Y chromosomes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot. So, yeah, his son is <gasps> murked. Yeah. Is he is he addicted to the spice poop now? Is that what's going on? He's having some... it was spice oh, withdrawal for... the whole time. <laughs> Another drop of spice poop. <laughs> and then okay, so who remembers the battle well enough to really give us a breakdown of how the the transfer of power really happens? I remember little bits. I remember so the the initial attack was that they blew they blew up the which we didn't even mention, but the the main city of Arrakis has this mm-hmm. huge sand wall that it's like a giant shield from the winds, which is the only reason why they can have like a city mm-hmm. there in the first place. So there's this giant protective wall of rock, which was also kind of keeping the Fremen from being able to go in there. So right. Paul planned, uh, I believe he put like a, a shield on it and had a smuggler ship put a laser beam on it. So it blew it up and they just came charging in there Riding on sandworms. On the wor- didn't they use the worms to... Yeah, on the sandworms. Yeah, yeah. they're all riding sandworms. But then it's we also... Strict. We only... Remember, we see that from the inside because uh, Aaliyah is captured and so is Paul, oh. right? Because aren't they in, like, the Emperor's chamber, like, talking yeah. to them? Not Paul, but, but Aaliyah is, right? And then, yeah. Yes. Yeah, she talks... Paul comes to the rescue. Right, on the well, sandworms. Well, no, are, are they... Yeah. I thought Paul well, how... came in from the worms. Like, from the outside. Are you... I... Again, this was a year ago. This is a little fuzzy for me. Y'all just finished it recently. You didn't read this? Let's walk through... Let's walk through... I'm pretty sure... You guys just finished the book, like, today. I you so would have what happened read at the end of the book? A I'm like, <laughs> No, I didn't. I finished it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> what happened, you guys? <laughs> Well, I know that she's alone, and she like she threatens like the the bear, and she's like, "You just wait till my brother gets here." Yes, but, yeah, because like she I sounds think... more badass, of course. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Paul comes in with Gurney, and they storm the place because there's this part. Uh, I am. He says, "Paul nods that I'm the Duke Paul Atreides. Do you understand that man?" The Sardaukar stared up and unmoving. Speak up, Paul said, "Or your emperor may die." So they've come and stormed the place. <clears throat> yeah. Well, no, I, I mean, that, that was cool because, like, what? Okay. He talks to the... Oh. All, right, all right, sorry, Trick. If you have the chronology, feel free to spit it out. Well, sort of. No. I'm going to be ahead. editing the oh. shit out of this anyway, so... Okay. Well, like, so <laughs> if I, I recall... So basically, they like she kills... Like, Aaliyah kills the Baron, right? Yes. She, yeah, in the in the chaos of things, somehow she kills the Baron because she's badass and crazy. And then, uh, yeah, Paul comes in with Gurney, and they like they discuss terms, right? Ba- basically, it's basically like that. This is the Emperor's ba- like it's basically Paul like you're fucked. Like I have all the all the eggs. Yes, and. The- and then this is where Fade Rautha comes in oh, right. and challenges him. 
to yes. a duel, yes. like the final duel. The so they battle. storm the place, and he's in there demanding, like they uh, send a message to the emperor saying, "Lay down your arms. We're taking over this planet. Get the fuck out of here." And then that's when Fade Routh comes in. He's like, "Not so fast." <laughs> Hell yeah. So they they got a, like they a got fucking, a battle. Yeah, and it's like a fucking it's a good chunk of pages that that battle takes place too. It's like 6 7 pages. Yep. He gets pretty That's one thing honestly I think Herbert did good in the battle scenes like when uh Fade Routha first fights in the their like family games and then this scene like of the like kind of one-on-one knife battles I thought were pretty uh engaging. Right. He, and then he also does that trick where there's some things that, just to make it more exciting, there's some things that Paul can see and some things that he can't. Like, remember, he can see that he has to fight FR, but he doesn't, he's for some reason unable to see that he has a poison dart. Right. That's, oh, like, yeah. not known to him. Uh, I'm sure it's explained, but I can't remember. It's It just is one of those things where it's just like, he can see the whole future, except for some things. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, they're also, they're cousins, because he says, right? Aren't they cousins? That was a big plot reveal, too. Yeah, in the, yes. in the first third or half oh. of the book. That, like, yeah, because you find out Harkonnen. that Jessica... Yeah, Lady yeah, Jessica yeah. is Harkonnen, 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 whatever. Yeah, Har- Baron Har- Harkonnen is her father. So, I just checked Wikipedia for the ending. And it sounds like we're pretty much on it. I wanted to clarify that the uh, Paul and the Fremen forces want to launch an offensive after, like, Leto II is killed. And so they attack the capital on Sam, Sam, with sandworms, you know, where the... Because the capital at this point is a Harkonnen-held, right? Yeah, stronghold. They've retaken yeah. it over. Uh, yeah, and they quickly defeat the troops, and then Paul kills that guy and takes the throne. And that's it. And Yeah, basically. Yes, he, he, has to, he essentially says, my force is better than your force. Emperor Padishah, I believe it's time that you uh, hand that title over to me. And the Emperor's like, oh, okay, and also, here's my daughter. <laughs> well, actually, Paul, Paul picks to remember, because he can see the future, and he's just like, you're like the, you want to be a historian, you will you will record my doings in the history of the new empire down Isn't, for me. Oh. Shawnee a little bit upset, oh, yeah. too, though, that he... Yes, it, 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 it ends with, like, Shawnee being upset, because she's like, yo, concubine. what the fuck, Paul? Like, I don't want to be your concubine, I want to be your wife. I thought was your girl. Yes, yeah, and, and he uh, says, no, Je- I gotta the, marry Princess Ruling. ends with her Rulin. and Jessica. Yes, being like, sometimes history's told from the concubine's point of view, and that's <laughs> how the book ends. It's like, okay. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I like that, actually. <laughs> just Lady Jessica. And like just being like, you must <laughs> let your husband have lovers. <laughs> yeah, sometimes life sucks for a woman. No, uh, here the it end. is. <laughs> it's, uh, think on it, Shawnee. That princess will have the name. Yet she'll live as less than a concubine, never to know a moment of tenderness from the man to whom she's bound. While we, Shawnee, we will we who carry the name of concubine, history will call us wives. Fade to black. Fade to metal, dude. And that's That's a good ending. It is a good ending. It's a good it's a good ending. I love again, like fucking Paul man. You can't like him. He's not a good guy. Uh oh. 
He's like the grossest Don't, version. God damn it, he froze oh, at the very last. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, he froze in a great position, though. Cooper, we lost. Oh, he's same... back. Okay, what no, there he is. Am I back? Okay. Yeah, you're back. <laughs> I Okay, I want to get your opinions because I've already said mine. I turned against Paul. Yeah. Uh, I don't Can like I, uh... him. He Again, like he he's just a political, religious, zealot leader who is doing whatever he can to solidify power because that's his future now. Um, can we actually move on or use this to segue to final yeah. thoughts? I have to get going soon. We're there, I have bro. To walk to work now. Let's do it. Final cool. thoughts. Um. Well, so I thought this was a cool book. I also thought that the end came rather quickly, like Dan was saying. Um, and like now that we've talked about it, it's like all of a sudden it's over. But it's probably good because we this is kind of a fucking long podcast anyway. But yeah. Um, I liked Paul, I guess, as a character that, like, even though is really different from a regular human like us, still had, still rubs up against like walls that we do. Like, even though he can see the future, it still feels like he doesn't have a choice in like a lot of what happens to him, and that he's just kind of like following this like predetermined past and like also trying to like shape or path and trying to shape that path and like shape the world to that path. I think there's kind of like a cool existential thing about Paul, um, mm-hmm. you know, and as far as that goes, um, and I don't know, I also like how he functions as part of like the power of myth. Like this whole book is right. like about the power yeah. of myth, I think. And Paul is a big part of like, bringing that myth to manifest um yeah and like because i i think of no no i just i I think that's his whole journey is Mm -hmm. his entire journey is learning that nothing he can do can change the future Mm -hmm. despite having premonition despite his ability to see into the future exactly it actually is a worse sort of prison than not knowing yeah because even though he knows he's powerless to change it. He just has to go He has through to the... worry about how and when it's going to happen. Right. Not even. He just has to, like, just be present. Mm. Like, he knows everything's going to happen. Like, we live in in this world. It's sort of this predetermined, uh, f- you know, there's no free will. Uh, just because he can see the future doesn't mean he has control of it. And that is a terrifying reality for him. And I think it. I think he does a good job, Frank Herbert, of showing us, uh, sort of. I, I think it's Paul's fall from humanity, in that, again, it's just it's it's trading one prison for an even tinier confining prison by knowing the future and being unable to change it. Yeah. And again, in this case, his future is a fucking jihad holocaust. Mm-hmm. I think that makes maybe I'm more sympathetic to Paul than you, Coop. I feel bad mm-hmm. for him more than anything. Like, I feel bad in a lot of ways because he was kind of forced by his mother into this situation, like, where she's kind of trained him yep. purposefully to try to fill this role because of her own selfish wants. And that at some point he realized he had no choice but to kind of continue this path that could lead to genocide for the pure fact of saving, you know, the people of his family that he loved. So that was like a really conflicting choice. 
you know, what's more important, you know, the possible millions of lives in the future of people you've never met or, you know, the immediate people in your household that do matter to you at this present moment in time. Well, not very much because he willingly sacrificed his son. Yeah. Right. I don't think he sacrificed him. He was just he was just like okay with it. He was like, Yeah, well, okay. I, I don't know. I mean again we don't They're really... like your son's dead. He's like, ah, another fucking Monday. <laughs> well for real, I mean, because he also knows that that's what's gonna he can use that to start the mm-hmm. war. It's just like Or maybe he or is it that he he knows that that's how the war is going to be started. Well it's both. He, but he has to use it yeah. he has to convince the Fremen somehow that a you know, it's like using Pearl Harbor, like you got to use some sort of atrocity to to whip. Whoa, whoa! Too soon, dude. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> to to whip up your followers into enough of a frenzy to get them to go to war, and so, not totally. And so, yeah, I I see what you mean. Where he did want to save his family, but I'm like, but to what? That's why. I'm, but to what point did, is that what he wanted? And is it just that he had to give in to what his path was? I don't know, but I wouldn't. I don't think I could say that I wouldn't do the same thing in his spot. Well, again, I think the the whole point of the book is that you wouldn't have a choice to not do that. Right. Well, right. I mean, in that context of, like, not being able to change the future. Which is, again, terrifying because our future is just, like, a lonely death in a public bathroom. We have a heart attack at, like, 65 <laughs> with a wife that we kind of, like, in his future is being a Hitler part two. But Eric, <laughs> with a little bit of like Chairman Mao, okay, 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 like a, a, a cooler Hitler. <laughs> Cooper, you're so inflammatory. Um, <laughs> is, it, is that because I think is I that think okay for me to say a cooler Hitler? Is that like he's not... a way sicker yeah, like a, Hitler? Like, he's like a is that too toxic? <laughs> um, like a fun Hitler. Like imagine Hitler if he was like into like you know because I think Hitler. Eric's point is is a good one about like being able to identify with Paul like. Because, Cooper, you don't like him and wouldn't want to identify with him, but, like, that's what's interesting about books, right, is, like, you end up identifying with him. So. Right. right. And, I, and I will I will be honest. I'm coming from a point of view of, like, having read all the sequels. Like, the second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second one, uh, the one that follows him, this one, the the Messiah, Dune Messiah, he he purposely makes Paul a despicable character. Like, I gotcha. and it's it's also not. I mean, it's you. After reading this again, like it sets it up from the first book, where where it, it it's a natural flow into him being like, oh, Gross. you have no human. Like I can't identify with you because you are not mm. human anymore. Right. Gotcha. No, there um, there really well, there there is a constant loss of humanity as he kind of like becomes more of a god figure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I mean, I could I could easily see that going forward into like totally. some malevolence. <laughs> right. In, I think I was just more sympathetic to the whole like the reason why he became yeah, yeah. like that. Well, he yeah. wasn't really oh, in sure. control, sure. right? Like that's the thing. It's like a prophecy. His mom was um, out. Yeah. Um. Um. Well, fellers, I'm gonna give if it's alright. I'm gonna give my final thoughts real quick and then hop off because sure. I got to get going. Okay. But for so final thoughts, this I'm really glad you uh, picked this, Phil, because this is, was a fucking awesome read. Like I enjoyed the shit out of this book. Like I just had so much fun sitting down and like out in my backyard, like on a nice day, and I could cruise through for like two hours just easily, and just like get lost in it. So I think the pacing was really helpful for that. And I think like uh, Dan was talking earlier, I think I had the opposite experience. I feel like the the pacing was slow at the beginning, and then like took 
uh, off by the end of it and like was really fast and like in- engaging. And I was able to you know, finish the second half a mm-hmm. lot faster than I finished the first half. And uh, yeah, and I thought, you know, like we talked like the soft science, I'm really glad that, you know, didn't get bogged down in a lot of hard science, you know, stuff that wasn't important to the plot because this book was so rich with plot mm-hmm. and character and, you know, world building that that's what I really appreciated oh. about it. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend to anybody, and I will be very interested in picking up the rest of the series. Hell yeah. You should. It's fan- It's fantastic. Fantastic. Cool. All right, well, uh, you guys can finish it up. Right, I'm going to hop Crick. off. But Send me your shit. Good, good booking. Yeah, man. Good booking. Have a good one. All right. Enjoy your... We'll talk later. Oh, yeah. Enjoy your grind. Oh, yeah. Trip. I was going to say... Oh, I will. Uh, Dan and Jordan are the next two to nominate. So I have well, a suggestion thanks. for our nomination, but all right, we can we can discuss that. It. Yeah. All right. Doodles. See you, fellas. Later, dude. Okay. I'm leaving. I swear. Dan. All right, I'll go. I'll go next. Yeah, because I don't really have much. To I don't add. have a lot either. Um, Mine was mostly about Paul. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I, I kind of found myself, like, if if we put Eric and Coop at two extremes, I, I found myself kind of <laughs> in the middle. Like, I don't know. I I, I felt Paul was, like, the person, and it makes, like, an Odysseus or, like, even an Anakin or, like, anything. Mm. You know, like, you can't help but, even knowing he's going to turn completely evil, you can't help but admire him. Like, because mm. you kind of have to. Because mm-hmm. you're rooting for him the right. whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, even though you know he's, you know, he, he's kind of, he is your human connection, even though he loses, you know, a right. reasonable or, you know, arguably so extent of his humanity. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, I loved the, uh, it, I mean, it, it was soft science insofar as, like, the technology wasn't explained, but, like, e- ecologically, mm-hmm. like, you know, he's always got reasons for things. So it, it, it's fairly in-depth in with the political Mm-hmm. stuff like plots subplots and like everyone's different interests you know i thought it was it was grand you know mm-hmm. it was great love it phil your thoughts yeah well i just started to say mine about paul um what what else did i like about this i just i'm always kind of obsessed with water so i like when um when books talk about water and it's like a major thing um i was yeah. actually like your favorite movie is kevin costner's water world is. isn't it you watch it like every year on earth Day. i do yeah um <laughs> i was gonna try to find the water passage like because i thought that was really cool it's gonna take me a minute so maybe cooper can you go back because i don't have a lot else to say i just like again i think i said this last episode but i like the kind of shakespearean politics with this like watching power turnover and power dynamics and i'm always fascinated just to see like how somebody imagines those situations going down especially because like writers can be really good at if they just like sit back and watch how people do things around them then they can kind of project and make really good stories about like how that stuff could go down in the most extreme cases and right this is a mm-hmm, good example yeah. of that where we have like millions or billions of lives at stake and like a prophecy and you can like play with that stuff and really twist it out to see what can happen so yeah i don't know i just really like seeing power dynamics and 
that kind of thing. But anyway, great book. Definitely glad we read it. Yeah, that's that's just a continuation of my thought too. I I love the. I want my I want to say the simplicity of it because I do think it is a very simple story in that he incorporates a bunch of classic literary elements. Um, I I it's it's just such a fun read. Like I I I like I agree with you, Phil. I like the Shakespearean elements to it, the the power dynamics, looking at all the plots. I mean, it's just a, it's a fantastic space opera, um, on par with like a Foundation trilogy or like the Star Wars trilogy. It's just this fun whole galaxy spanning epic adventure that he is able to very beautifully entwine more complex ideas in there uh i.e the environment human relation to it the idea of prophecy the future of religion um so we we did i was gonna say we could pick this apart but we did pick this apart we talked about so much of it but at the end of the day i think it's just a very fun read right it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun, and I, I highly recommend the the rest of them. Um, the second one, the Dune Messiah, is phenomenal. You get to see immediately after uh, the war what what uh, Paul and his new um, his new empire uh, does. The second one, I believe, is uh, uh, Children of Dune, which is fantastic. It's about Paul's kids. Um, and uh, they have to combat Aaliyah, who's now leader of the new um, empire. And then it just kind of goes bizarre and crazy from there in, in, in very fun ways. Yay. Wonderful. At, at one point, one of Paul's children uh, like morphs with a sandworm and he like, encompasses his body and he becomes a worm with a human face and like <laughs> rules the galaxy for like 5,000 years. Whoa. It's insane. That's awesome. Okay. They talk about like his like little like arms and legs slowly like dying from his worm wow. body. And he gain he get, he grows like eighty meters high, so he is like the god emperor of Dune. That's badass. It's pretty badass. Pretty metal. Um, absolutely. Alright. Well, this has been fucking Dune Part 2. Waste books. Dune part two. This cat is licking my lips. Get away. <laughs> See you guys. Alright, later guys. Well, that about does it for another episode of Waste Books. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, check out our website, waste-division.org, where you can find more of our work, including writing, uh, visual art, music, some more podcasts, um, and other stuff. Again, check out our Patreon. Uh, if you just search patreon.com for Waste Division, um, it should pop up. And that's uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And if you do, send us a few bucks a month. We'll send you a little care package, like an art care package. Um, our friend Mary-Kate has included some stuff. I'm going to throw in some stickers that I've designed. And we've got other stuff from uh, other artists in the collective. So Next month, we'll be reading the book Babel 17 
by Samuel Delaney. So pick that up, give it a read or a listen, um, and tune in next episode. We'll talk about it. Oh, music today is by the band Hibernator. Uh, their song is called Careless, and they just came out with a music video for it. That's pretty cool. Um, part of the music video was filmed at our uh, DIY art fest that they came came for and played. But anyway, enjoy, and we'll see you next time.